pray together right now. Heavenly Father, you are the God of all flesh. We honor you on this awesome day and on this unique month, the month of unlimited grace. As you have brought us together as your people to expose, remind, confront us with the power, the authority, the revelation of your grace. Teach us going forward from today to begin to understand the mystery of your grace. We bless you for grace and peace. Be unto everyone listening this morning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things I want to quickly mention to us one of the interesting things that happen for many of us who are dictionary lovers every year is that there are added words. I have dictionary that I see every day, new words, and, and there are new words that are added every year, or there are also the words that, are, that will take on a whole different meaning every year. And these things happen basically every year that is being done both by different types of dictionary. And, but I have also come to realize there are some old words, though they are old, but they remain as powerful as they were in all ages. Those words don't need to, they don't need to change. They just need to be appreciated. They need to be cherished. One of those words is the word grace. As we spend this season, this time, either today or other days, to study and to read and to think about grace, uh, I, I want us to consider these two things in your study. Grace in concrete thinking and grace in abstract thinking. The reason why I have to mention this is that from the Hebrew standpoint, Hebrews, Hebrews speakers and language and, and people believe that grace is concrete. And Hebrews are, are concrete thinkers compared to the Greeks. Why is that important? It is important because the Hebrews attach practical experiences to things. Most of their thinking is around their five senses, the senses of hearing, of touching, of smelling, of seeing something. And so that's very critical. In the Old Testament, which were basically Hebrews, uh, there was a word that was used for grace. It is the word chen, C-H-E-N. That word came from two root words, the word chet and the word noon. Now, this is important for me to mention these two words because the first one, it's for life. That's what chet means. It means grace is the protection of life. The second one, which is new, means for a tent. Uh, it's like the tent that was pitched in the wilderness. So, so grace was captured by most of the Hebrew speakers in concrete thoughts. It's like a person living in a tent, 
And then another person is coming and a storm and a treacherous situation will arise, dangerous situation will arise, that a person that will be traveling will attempt to actually make their own, you know, make their own camp for some reason, but could not set up a camp that will meet their immediate need. Therefore, they need help at that moment. Now, the first person that will open the doors of their tent and welcome this individual to come in to give them protection and provide them with food and welcome them, they will invite them to stay until the danger is over. That individual is extending grace to an individual who is in danger. And one of those that theologically that was described about grace was what happened between Jacob and Laban. Many of us remember that Jacob went to live with his, uh, with his uncle Laban because he was being pursued by his own brother. His life was in jeopardy. Therefore, he needed a place of abode. He needed a heaven. And Laban provided that for Jacob. That was considered grace in the interpretation of the Jews. Now, in the New Testament, a different word is used. Is the word charis. Now, that word is more of an abstract word, but it means unmerited, undeserved, unhand kindness and favor given to someone. Why am I doing all of this this morning? It's because I want us to see, as we study the concept of grace, it is important that we understand correctly that the Hebrews are speaking about an experience, something that has to be touched, smelled, heard, tasted, and seen. Grace to have must have these concrete values to be meaningful in anyone's life. Carries, as great as that word is, it's more of an emotional thing. You know, it's more of being gracious to an individual, graciousness. And usually it's defined when there is a divine influence upon a heart and all that. But this morning, I would like us to travel with me to the book of Ruth in chapter 2 to see grace defined, to see grace in practical demonstration and I want us to study verse by verse with me today of the book of Ruth, chapter 2. And my message is going to be based on the revelations of grace. The revelations of grace. The reason why I chose the topic is because grace has to be revealed for it to be experienced. Grace is not a class. Grace is experiencing an individual's kindness and goodness towards another individual, particularly a superior to an inferior. Now, I'll take my reading again. We've read it this morning in the Bible reading, but I'll take it one by one. Thank you, sir, for reading this passage. I know many of the words are very archaic, uh, but I'm going to take my time and look at each of these verses this morning. The Bible says in Ruth chapter 2 from verse 1, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husbands, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name 
was Boaz. Theologically, Boaz is a type of Jesus. And Ruth, the Mohabites, said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean hairs of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. Now the Moabites that we read speaks of a Gentile, speaks of a, an, an heathen, speaks of an unbelieving, speaks of a stranger. But what we see here was there was a desire, there was a craving from Ruth to find something that she does not have to find something. But I love the way it is mentioned in this verse too. Let me not go to the field and glean hairs of corn. It is very important to pay attention to the word glean. The word glean actually means to collect gradually and bit by bit. It also means to gather leftover grains or other produce after a harvest. So what we see here, that would also denote minimal gain through hard work. So it was an ag agricultural term among the Jews which conjures an image of a beggar at an harvest time, gathering whatever remains on the field after reaping. So from there we can see why the Jews painstakingly Look at the concept of grace from a different perspective. I read Leviticus chapter 23 in verse 22. The Bible says, when you read that passage, when you reap, it says, and when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap all the way to the edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I, the Lord, I am your God. So we see there that God gave instruction ahead of time to the owners of a field. When it is harvest time, do not take everything. You must leave some for the poor and for the stranger. I want us to take note of the two words, the poor and the stranger. Now in Leviticus 19 verse 10, the Bible says, you shall not pick your vineyard bare. In other words, don't remove everything or gather the falling fruit from your vineyard. Don't even gather the ones that fall, that, that usually fall when you're, when you're doing your harvest. So what does this mean? The first revelation of grace that I see from these first two verses is the undeserving favor. Remember, it was part of God's instruction. When you are reaping your field, leave some behind. Not because the poor and the stranger deserve it. No, you must extend your favor towards them. Number one, because as strangers, they could never be owners of a land. Number two, the poor were the less privileged in the society. Now, how is this tied to us as a people? It is tied to us because seeing will make poverty of a soul. Sin will make you a stranger from the covenant of God. 
as you can see from the scriptures, the Bible says we were strangers from the covenant of promise. So the poor and the strangers here tells us about the desperation of a sinful soul. So what grace does through the Lord is to provide us with the unmerited favor, undeserving favor of God. So what we see from the life of Ruth is that this book is teaching us about the provision of God for grace. Do you know that God's divine plan for grace had been long been before the foundation of the world? And therefore today, we need to see the first lesson in this scripture was that Ruth said to the mother-in-law, I'm going to go to the field and I'm going to go after those who are reaping and I will glean from them. In other words, I will take what I did not labor for. I will expect that I find favor in their sight. Now she went further in verse, verse 3, and she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And a harp was to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz, which was kind, which was of the kindred of Elimelech. Now, she didn't just go to any field. She went to the field of a specific man called Boaz. Because you see, favor also is restricting. You have to be at the right place to receive the right kind of favor. And that was the first definition of grace that I see from this story. Now, as you read further, the Bible says she went and came. There is something we experience grace of God when we respond to the invitation, because in every manifestation of grace, there is always a come. God calling you to himself. The Bible said, no one cometh to me that it will no wise cast away. It is important to understand the power of invitation. That's the second point when it comes to grace. Grace is an invitation to an experience. Grace is an invitation to an experience. I read verse 4 and 5. The Bible said, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz to his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? So we have seen that from the experience of this lady, not only is grace an unmerited favor, grace also is released. Grace is empowered through invitation. Jesus said over and over again, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is an invitation. The book of Revelation says, The spirit and the bride say, Come. There is something about grace and the invitation that comes from the living God. Now, my third understanding of grace from this scripture is in verse 5. The Bible said, then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? You see, Ruth was unknown. Boaz had no idea who Ruth was. And I see this in the light of sin. Sin will obscure a man's destiny. 
sin will obscure a man's purpose. And that's why my third point on grace is grace will shine the light on the purpose of God for your life. Why sin obscures a man's destiny, grace shines the light on the purpose of God for your life. Through grace, the unknown, the obscure, are exposed to the light of salvation. We who were dead in sins and trespasses, now have been conveyed into the marvelous light of God. Remember that. We have been conveyed. We were dead in sins and were dead in darkness, yet were conveyed by the grace of God into the marvelous light of God. So what grace does is to remove us from the oppression of darkness and bring us into the place of the light of God's salvation. Do we understand this morning that you will never know the reason for your existence without grace? You see, people do things in life. They get involved in so many things. They live their daily lives with the intention of impressing people. You see, grace helps us to understand life is not about impressing other people, but grace is about having a relationship with the God of our flesh. I believe life is impossible. It's not just difficult. People say life is difficult. No, life is impossible when there is no sense of meaning, when there is no sense of purpose. So what we see from the life of this, of this wonderful lady is the fact that she was unknown. No one knew her except those who were behind, who had seen her. And then they responded to this man by saying, and the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, it is the Moabitish damsel that came back from Naomi out of the country of Moab. Now, and she said, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued even from morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Verse 8. I want us to pay attention to verse 8. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hear it thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from thence, from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. That is very, very important, church. Because today, people are coming up with alternatives to a relationship with God. There is no religion. There is no association that can replace grace. You see, people can get involved in religion, but they would never taste the grace of God. Grace is exclusive. That's my fourth point. Grace is what? Exclusive. Boaz said, don't go to glean in another man's field. Remain within my field. Stay with the maidens. Stay with others within this field. Do not go elsewhere. Jesus is saying, look, there will be many voices around the world saying there is life here. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except through me. There is no alternative. 
It is either all of grace or nothing. It is either all of Jesus or nothing. The grace of God is exclusive. For you to experience the grace of God, you cannot meddle with other things. You cannot continue. That's one of the things Paul said to the church in Corinth. Many of those who were in Corinth wanted to enjoy some of the things they did with idol worship and still came back to the house of God and still operate the same way. He said, no, there is no association. There is no fellowship between darkness and light. It's either you are all of God or you're all of the devil. Grace creates exclusivity in our lives. You're exclusive. Remember, you're married to the master. You're married to the Lord Jesus. Grace is a point of, of, of marriage to the Lord, of saying, I have no other one else. I am married to you, Lord Jesus. Therefore, you cannot receive the grace of God in vain. Grace, it's an exclusive marriage to the Lord. I'll continue my reading in verse 9. Let thy eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they should not touch thee? And when thou art a thirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Oh, glory to God. My next point is that grace is a field where others reap, but we glean. Grace is a field where others reap, but we glean. What does that mean? Boaz said to her, do not go, just go after the young man. They will not touch thee. And when you are thirst, go on to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Two things. They will reap, you will glean. They will draw water, you will drink. What does that mean? It means in grace is effortlessness. Because you see, if you have had to do it yourself, if you have had to make it happen by your own ability, it is no longer grace because your effort makes it merited. Your effort makes it you deserve a reward for what you have done. But what we're learning from the life of this of, of, of Ruth is that Boaz said to her, you don't have to lift a finger. You don't have to do anything. And that reminds me of the cross. The Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us that we may become the righteousness of God in him. Now, Christ, when we receive the grace of God, it has nothing to do with your ability, with your effort. And many times there are people who are seeking effort to please God. That's what other religions do. They have to do things to be accepted by God. We have to do nothing to be accepted by God because Jesus already went to the cross on your behalf, on my behalf, he paid the ultimate price. Therefore, all I need to do is to come with an open hand and say, Lord Jesus, I believe in your grace. I believe in what you have done for me on the cross. And I accept your free offer of salvation. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved 
through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one should boast. It says no one can boast. You cannot boast in the grace of God. Grace of God has none of your effort involved. It says don't have to do anything. They will reap, you will glean. They will get the vessel of water, you will drink. And you know what I also saw from that scripture? It says, I have spoken to the young men that they taught you not. Grace protects you from the abuse of life. Life will send abuse to us, but grace protects you from the abuse of life. Because immediately you're coming in, in, to understand the grace of God, your eyes will be enlightened. You will understand the reason for your existence. Therefore, whatever life throws at you, you are formidable because you have the knowledge of him who has spoken and who has paid the price for you. Glory to God. Verse 10, the Bible said, Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thy eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Glory to God. How do I know when somebody has experienced grace? Grace precipitates worship and not the other way around. Grace precipitates worship. You see, when Ruth came in contact with Boaz, grace, she voluntarily worshipped. One of the manifestations of a life in grace is the recognition of the omnipotence of God and the wonders of redemption. You see, worship is an expression of a heart that is conquered by grace. Many attempt, many times, to worship without an experience with God. You see, when you do that, it's going to be dry and there will be no life in it because it's not coming from an experiential place. The power of worship is in the recognition and the acknowledgement of what has been done for me. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. It makes meaning to me. Because indeed the Lord has been faithful. Indeed the Lord has been good to me. I don't know about you. I worship from the depth of my spirit because I know the Lord has been good to me. I know that the Lord has saved me cleansed me, sanctified me, purified me, justified me. There is therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. <laughs> there is therefore no condemnation. Why? Because you see, because I've experienced the grace of God, I know there is no more burdens in my heart because Jesus has become my Lord. He is my peace. He is my joy. He is my fulfillment. He is my hope. Verse 11, and Boaz answered and said unto her, It has been fully shown me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thy husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of nativity, and hath come unto a people which thou knowest not hereunto, heretofore. See that scripture. 
in verse 12, the Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel under whose wings thou hast come to trust. It leads me to this point. Grace is activated by response. I'm going to say it one more time. Grace is activated by response. You see, grace is not automatic. I used to think it is. No. You see, that's why most of the modern day 21st century delusion that is going on in many places today where people are preaching the gospel of inclusion, there is no such thing as the gospel of inclusion. What they are saying is there is no need for grace. And I have seen from the scripture that there is a need for grace and that there is a need for response on, the, on behalf of an object to be able to experience the full stretch of the grace of God. You see, you have to be prepared to relinquish all that is in your hands. You will need to surrender it all. You will need to burn the bridges behind you to experience the full capacity of the grace of God. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said, No one comes to me and will in no wise be cast away. Do you know that God recognizes your response to the call of salvation? The Bible says your name is written in the book of life. How would that happen if there's no response? Salvation is experienced when we entrust our lives into the hands of him who is able to keep unto the uttermost. Romans chapter 10, verses 10, 13 to 15. Let me read to us. The Bible says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. There is a believing. 